Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Let me start with a story. Last, last year, we had, um, you know, when, when just before the pandemic hit, or as the news of the pandemic was hitting, uh, my wife and I, we were planning for our daughter's 16th birthday. It was on a Saturday evening, and uh, it, we were literally thinking of canceling it or keeping it open. We weren't sure because of all the news that was going on, and we chose to keep it open, and it became the last kind of um, normal sense of gathering that happened for us because literally that day later, everything changed. We, our Sunday was canceled. Uh, Monday, things were different. And uh, while we were prepping for that, this was uh, the, the Friday before, my wife came home from, from work and uh, she said, oh, you know, talk to my boss. And because of everything that's going on, basically all like the, my my role uh, at my job she worked at a hotel at the time is is going to be dissolved for now and, and so it's like temporary layoff and it was just like all this news is coming we're prepping for this party we're uncertain with what's happening in church and then she comes home and it's like yeah and it's almost like it all fit with the narrative that was going on in the news and um, she just you know found out okay that's it for now and thankfully we've been fine and she's uh, she was able to at that time even before any subsidies came in went on unemployment and and um, and so it was, it was a different unique year but it was that day that moment when you receive that kind of news and you're you just think about things and that feeling was was um, was really important to sit and kind of dwell in it but just to understand the the changes that could take place and and so today what I want to do I want to talk about this pressure point that many people have felt either tangibly or perceptually in the whole area of finances we've talked about emotional health uh, social crises relationships and today I want to hit this topic that I think is, is really important for us in our society and as Christ followers, and it's this pressure point of finances or financial health or financial unhealth. And I think, not maybe not right now, but when the pandemic first hit, there's two, two words that started to describe people's sense of feeling around this. And the first word is probably fear. In March of 2020, one million Canadians lost their jobs. In April of 2020, the next month, two million Canadians lost their jobs. And immediately, and I heard this in, in some um, groups that I was a part of with some business people from our church, uh, also in culture, companies were immediately moving to protect themselves in light of this. How are we going to, what kind of resources are we going to use? How, what kind of potential losses are we going to face? Now, over the last 15 months, things have stabilized and many people have weathered this storm or this season with employment still intact and certain industries have actually grown while other industries have, have fallen. Regardless of the ups and downs, the, you know, you see the exponential growth of an Apple or an Amazon or a Walmart or a Costco, but then there's a whole bunch of interest, industries that have been hit horribly. I remember uh, watching the CEO of the company that my wife was working for was literally in tears sharing the news around what the impact of the hotel industry would have had for their employees and talking about that. And, and it, it stuck in my mind because the percentage of job losses, reduced income, potential bankruptcies just brought this sense of fear in people. Now, here, here's, I think, where this hits many people, even if your jobs were okay, because you don't actually need to lose your job to feel fear. You just need to think 
you might lose your job to feel fear. And so while the news is happening, that kind of fear seeps into many people. That's one word. The other word I think that fits the scenario early in the pandemic that maybe still fits it a little bit today is fragile, is the word fragile. There's a financial editor in personal finances for the Globe and Mail. Her name is Roma Lucy. And she wrote this in the Globe and Mail just recently. She's talking about what's coming out of the pandemic. And she's talking about personal finances. And she wrote, the pandemic made us aware of how fragile our financial health is. And it made us aware of how much we depend on things going right and how little we plan for things going wrong. I have a friend that... um, He's a realist, and he always loves posting these realistic kind of scenarios to me. And he says, Dave, if the whole economy tanked, there'd be chaos in the streets. Trust me. We think we're good people, and we love each other, and we're really peaceful. But once the money's gone, people are going to be cutthroat. I'm like, thanks for the sad picture. <laughs> um, but, you know, what, what this lady writes in the Globe and Mail is important. It's how, not just how much, we de- we, how much we really depend on things going right, how little we actually plan for things going wrong. There was a U.S. stat among businesses that blew me away last year in the spring. I read that the average U.S. company, large or small, had a cash reserve to survive about 20 days, meaning if all their cash stopped, all their income stopped, the, the average company, not all, some had like a lot of, inco- a lot of you, know, st- um, you know, cushion to lean on, many had zero, but the average company had 20, or business, had 20 days to survive with the cash cushion they had, 20 days, if everything kind of stopped. I remember as our church community was thinking about this and thinking about, you know, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we we try and our finance team does a great job of this and, and, and we try and teach through this just what it means to be good stewards and pursue wisdom in finances. And we never, we had a contingency fund, but never had a a contingency plan, like a cash flow policy. And for the first time, we're sitting there and saying, oh, what, what about this scenario? What about this scenario? What about this scenario? What, and it was going down from like 90% to 80% to 70% to 60%. What if it's 50%? What if, what if a whole bunch of people get affected? And then this, how does this affect our mission? And we had this set up to help us stay on mission in you know, full or half a tank type of scenario. But here is, here is my concern when I um, talked with people and, and, and just interacted with people and also viewed what was going on in culture. Many people came into this pandemic stressed about finances before the pandemic ever happened. Because so many people were living above their means or so many people were dependent, um, depend on money for their happiness, for their security, usually... When they seek that, it's often leaning on debt. And you say, no, that's impossible. Like the average Canadian must, can't, it's, it, they don't just pursue happiness with debt. Well, here's this one stat that often grows from year to year. And I'm hoping that one year it's going to drop. But right now, the household debt ratio in Canada, and I'll explain what that is, sits at about 175 to 80, well, 180%. Depending on you know, what articles you read or what source, it sits between 175 to 180%. What that means is that the average Canadian family, single, couple, household, whatever, after they pay utilities, their electrical bill, their taxes, their main, main kind of like important expenses, every Canadian owes about $1.75 for every disposable dollar they have to spend. 
Did you catch that for a second? For every disposable dollar the average Canadian has left after their main expenses, they actually spend $1.75. They spend, so, if, so if, if you're left with 100 bucks after you've done your main, you know, utility bills and blah, 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 food and groceries, if you have 100 bucks left and you're the average Canadian, you're likely to spend $175. You're like, but why, why would I do that? Why would I spend $75 more than in my pocket? I don't know. Ask, like, ask the people who are researching this data. Now, you might be on the lower end of that. There's people on the three, 400% scale. It's crazy, but it, it happens. And there's people lower than 175%. And what that leads to is debt and anxiety and increased sense of being fragile because we're unable to pay for an emergency should it occur, or we're going to go into more debt because of that. And I'm sharing some of these numbers, and for some of us, you're listening, and you're like, this is real. This, you're, you're just speaking my life. Like, this is exactly what I feel. This is exactly what I live. For some of you, you that, that's what's going on. For some of you, it's just a theory. You're like, Dave, this is great stats. It's a theory. You're doing okay, but we're all breathing in this air. We're all breathing in the sense of what's going on with these financial pressures, and often we still breathe in the air of fear and fragility because we're prone to it, and our culture leads us towards it as well, and we feel that pressure. So I want to take a, a little bit of time this morning, and as we've done in this series, we've particularly leading us off from when Brett started us off on, on the issue of mental health, this body, mind, and soul approach. I want to take this approach to finances, and we're going to look at Scripture. We're going to look at the teachings of Jesus, particularly for this fresh perspective. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, and um, we're just going to read a couple of, or a paragraph or so from Jesus in this incredible chapter of scripture Matthew chapter 6 so here here's what Jesus says we're catching him kind of midterm in in a larger teaching verse 19 Matthew 6 he says do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moss nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Let's just pray for a second. God, we want to submit ourselves to you, to the work of your Son, Jesus, the work of your Spirit, and what you want to teach us through this text today. We know there's so much more that we can lean in on and immerse ourselves here but we just we pray for wisdom in this topic today in Jesus name amen so here's here's Jesus this is like 
inside the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in all of the New Testament and the Scriptures. It's one of the most important teachings of Jesus. And uh, you find it in Matthew chapter 5 to 7 as Matthew's broken up into five blocks of Jesus' teaching. And some people call it the manifesto of God's kingdom, the manifesto of, of the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, the heart of God's kingdom taught by Jesus. And when you think about this, this, his teaching in Matthew 5 to 7 really cuts to the core, the heart and soul of the kind of life Jesus invites us into. If, as we read the whole thing, it's an invitation to a completely different kind of life, often, very much often, alternate to what we find in our world. And yet this section we read is so relevant to our cultural moment right now. It's so relevant to our cultural reality. Because we are tempted these days to buy our way into happiness. We're tempted these days to strive, overly strive, often in exhaustion for security. We're tempted these days to accumulate, and not just these days, but in general, to accumulate our way into significance. The more we have, the better we'll feel. The more we have, the more important we'll feel or be amongst our peers. And I think I love this text because it's, it's, it's jarring and it's confronting. Jesus helps us reset our financial health. You know, it's not a whole Dave Ramsey course in this. And it's actually like better because Jesus is obviously way better than Dave Ramsey. But some of you guys who follow those kind of teachings. Jesus helps us reset our financial health. And so I want to talk about it three words. Real simple. See, serve, and store. See, see serve, and store up. And so we're, gonna, we're not going to start with the body. We're going to start with the mind. When Jesus talks about our vision in verse 22 and 23, he talks about how the eyes are the lamp of the body. I want to talk about how our vision, what we perceive, what we see is so important. Because when you have healthy eyes, you have healthy vision. Now, I'm looking at you straight here today, and those of you guys who are watching online, and one of my eyes is is decently healthy, even though I wear glasses, and one of my eyes is really unhealthy. When I was a little kid, I had an accident, and it damaged my eye. In fact, it cut my eye, and there's an inability for light to go into the back of my cornea so I can see clearly. That's one of the issues, that because there's scar tissue on this eye, it inhibits light from hitting the back of my eye so I can actually see clearly going out. I have an unhealthy eye. I see blurry. I can't read a page out of a book. And sometimes I'll miss you on my left-hand side, so I'm not ignoring you. Trust me. (laughs) But that's an unhealthy eye. It's not allowing light in. That's kind of what Jesus is saying between light and darkness here. And healthy eyes, healthy vision. It's the difference between light and darkness, clarity and blurry, healthy and unhealthy. Your vision dictates your practices, dictates how you move forward. And here in this conversation, Jesus, what he's talking about money, he addresses our view of money and ultimately our view of God. But our view of money, he's not really talking about our physical eyes. He's talking about the vision we have for life. So let me ask you this question. What shapes your vision of finances? What shapes your vision of whatever money you have in your pocket or sitting in your bank account or might get dropped into your bank account this week? What shapes your vision of that? It's normally three things. One is family and culture. There's no doubt that your family and culture shaped how you view money. Another one is our faith. Because as we read through the scriptures, the wisdom of scriptures, the wisdom of Jesus, the teachings of Christ, there's so many references to money in the Bible. It shapes how we view money. But another one is financial education, like actually how we 
and they're talking about today like um, big, big discussion about how to change education and can we put practical things in schools. And one of them is like, can we teach kids how to do their taxes? Can we teach students how to like run a budget? Financial education is huge. So those three things, family, faith, and financial education. That's led someone like me, and even us in our church community, we teach, we've, t- we've taught this over the years. And uh, when I spew out this, these numbers, you might remember me talking about it before. We talk about this 10-10-80 principle. Give 10% of your, fi- your finances away, your income away. Save 10% and then live off the rest. There's other nuances of that, but that's the most basic way that I've come to learn and embrace this and that we've taught here. Just 10-10-80 principle. Give 10%, save 10%, live off the remaining 80%. What, what, what that's done is like that as actually that, those three numbers are influenced for me personally by my faith, what I read in the scriptures, influenced by my family, what I've seen my family do, and it's been influenced by financial education. So how you handle, how I handle my money is usually a result of those three influences, how we see money. See, here's, this, this is reality for you and me. We've, we, I've quoted Pete Scazzaro over this, that Jesus might be um, in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. He loves to say that because he means that like Jesus might have been starting to change your heart, but man, whatever Grandpa put in your bones, you're still living that out. It's a tension. And so you might read every wise verse in the Proverbs about savings, but you still go into debt like your mama went into debt. Right? Or you still go into debt like your dad went into debt. Because our family influence is huge. Our cultural influence is huge. You might hear inspiring sermons about generosity, but your expenses are cutting your throat like you've bought, uh, you've leased a car that's 20% more and you've bought a house that's 30% more and you're just like living like this and you can't even live freely or generously. It doesn't matter how many sermons you've listened to. I remember reading the stats about the West Island years ago knowing that there's some families that have a large home and a beautiful car in their driveway, but their kids never go to school with a healthy lunch because they're living up to here and they have no room down here to actually live. So this is really important. Your view of money shapes your use of money. That's just a phrase I want us to remember today. Your view of money shapes your use of money. I saw a positive example of this last week. Um, I bumped into someone who's in the travel industry. And if you know anything about the travel industry lately, they've been hit so hard during the pandemic. And I, and I just asked this person really honestly, I'm like, how has this been for you? How? And he said, a lot of my colleagues have gone under. This has been really tough. And he said, then he said these words, like, but Dave, he says, like, I'm like an old school, you know, thoughts in my finances. Like, we've, we've really tried to save and we've, we had some kind of a cushion. He said, for 50 years, I've used a credit card, and I've determined never to pay $1 of interest. And so this was a positive ways that shaped him. And he said, this, those, that financial education, that part of what he got from his family, helped him get through the pandemic in one of the worst industries. And yes, there was government subsidies and all that kind of stuff, but it was a collection of things, right? I remember hearing an interview of a super extremely wealthy Christian. And they asked this guy, they said, they said, what do you do when your kids ask you for something that you don't think they should buy, but you know you can afford it? 
And the guy said, that's, an, that's such a good question because when my kids ask me something, I can't honestly say, I can't afford it. Dad, why don't you buy me this car? I can't afford it. I'd be lying. Why? And so he, was, he wrestled with that as a believer. And he said, I, could, I can't just say I can't afford it. So I have to think through and reflect on and say, here's why we're not buying this. Here's why we're not making this decision. Here's why we don't need this. Here's why we would rather do this than this with our money. And so what he was showing in that, that moment that his view of money is shaping his use of money. It doesn't matter how much money we have, whether we have a little or a lot. It's how we view it. So how we see money is how we'll use money because the eye is the lamp of the body. But Jesus touches on the soul. In verse 24, he says, you cannot serve two masters. Right? It, verse 24 is the heart of discipleship in, in all things, but we can apply it to finances. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. He says either you're going to hate one and love the other, or either you're going to be devoted to the one and reject the other. See, the core message of, of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is Lord. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, and we read the life Jesus is inviting us into, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we trust the authority of Jesus enough to live this? Do we see him as Lord of our lives, of Lord as the universe, of Lord over the church? And this passage ends in verse 33. We didn't, I didn't read it, but Jesus literally says, seek first my kingdom or God's kingdom and his justice and his righteousness. And then we pray today the Lord's Prayer. And inside the Lord's Prayer, Jesus invites us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will, which is his righteousness, his justice, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here, Jesus is applying this to how we hold money, to wealth, to possessions. I don't know about you, but for me, money is like the greatest test of of what I value, and sometimes I fail the test. <laughs> greatest, uh, money can be the greatest test of, what, of who we value, and sometimes I fail the test because money has a great way of just kind of like sifting us and shaking us to show us what we really value, who we really value, and Jesus uses the word master. He says, you can't have two masters, and he ends it by saying, you know, put your... Put your treasure, right? Where is it? Where, just where, wherever your heart is, your treasure will be. And he says, you can't serve God. And in the version we read today was wealth. You can't serve God and wealth. But the original word there is an Aramaic term that's really an untranslated term. And it's the word mammon. Or in Greek, it's, I think it's mammonus. Mammonus is the, Greek, is the Greek word. And it means the personification of riches. It means a worldliness. It also can just mean riches or gain. Sometimes it even means confidence. Like where is your confidence in? Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon. You can't put your full confidence both in God and both in mammon. And you're sitting there that way kind of like, oh. Because you can't. You can't do that. It's impossible. See, and here's the thing. Money's neutral. Whatever money you have in your pocket or your bank account, it's neutral. You tell it where to go. 
I don't tell you where to put your money. You, you can decide where your money's going to go. I have no control over your online banking app. I hope, thank God, I don't. But, but you know, and, and it's one of the most secure apps around for now. And so the reality is, is your money's neutral. It's not, it's not good or bad. It can just be used for good or bad. You can hold it lightly or you can put too much confidence in it. What Jesus is saying here is, if you worship two things, you're not worshiping God. I can't say, like we sang in worship today, God, I worship you, I love you, I'm putting you as the priority of my life, and then equally say, I'm worshiping wealth. You just, you, you're not worshiping God if you're worshiping two things. Never. It's impossible. So later in the New Testament, Paul tells a, a, a young pastor, Timothy, he says, the love of money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say money is, but he says the love of money is the root of all evil because money tests our loyalty to Jesus. Money tests what we value, who we value. And Jesus here, he's helping us reset our vision of money, how we see it and who we serve, how we see it and who we serve, you know, what our vision is and what our values are. And these two things influence how we handle money. And so it's, here's this last piece. And actually, Jesus starts with it, but I'm ending with it to help us kind of unpack it and practice it. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust will not get to it. He, he's, he's, he's inviting us to actually decide what to do with our money. Storing up is a decision. Storing up is an action. Storing up is a verb. It's not just a thought. It's not just a vision. It's not just a value. It's what you actually do. Right? So storing up is what you do with your treasure, with your possessions, with your finances. And here's the, the, the beautiful thing is how you see it and, how you, and, and, and who you serve influences how you store up. What you see and who you serve influences how you store up. And Jesus says, store up in heaven. Store your treasures up in heaven. And so many people like have this view of heaven like it's some planet far away. So it's like, I'm going to transfer my money to heaven. I'm going to like get my possessions and put it, like, put it in heaven somewhere. And, and it's like, oh, maybe if I do something now that I can store up for heaven, that, you know, it's going to be there when I get there. Jesus is not saying that at all. Because it's not a literal different location he's talking about here. He's not encouraging us to try and keep something on the side for heaven. I make a thousand bucks a week. I'm keeping a hundred bucks for heaven. I'm, I'm making a thousand bucks. Oh, if I put it all in my heavenly account, it doesn't work that way. Heaven, as we pray today, is God's space, God's realm. And think about this. Heaven is the location and the source of God's presence and God's will. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're saying, God, your will, your, what you decide in your space, make it real here. So when Jesus uses the word heaven, where we store things up, he's really saying, invest in the kind of life that reflects God's kingdom. Make the kind of decisions, use your finances as well, all of life, in such a way that it reflects where your treasure is, where your heart is, who you serve, what you love, what you value. And if we go back down to verse 33, this very popular verse where Jesus says, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. There's another word that's translated for righteousness that is a, holds us a little more accountable. It's the word justice. The word 
for righteousness is also the word for justice. And sometimes Christians have lightly used the word righteousness for doing good things. But once you, use, once you translate it into justice, it's not just doing good things or being nice. It's actually a moral obligation to the people around us and the world we live in and the kind of kingdom life that God longs for us to be a part of. So when you read righteousness and justice or God's kingdom, think of words like freedom. Think of words like peace. Think of words like shalom or wholeness. Think of words like goodness or hospitality or flourishing. And Jesus says, when you, when you live such a life where your, your finances, your resources, your treasures are invested in heaven, it means that you're investing in the kind of life that flourishes. Not just you, but other people. That's goodness, that's hospitable, that adds to freedom, that adds to peace. I bet you if we try to track some of the bad things that go on in the world, people use, the rever- people use money for the reverse. How many, how many people, corporations, continents, whatever, have used money not for freedom but for oppression, not for peace but for chaos, not for wholeness but for brokenness, not for goodness but for evil, not for hospitality but for isolation, not for flourishing but for detriment? Because money is neutral. Jesus says when you make that step in terms of like your body storing up, do it for things that reflect God's kingdom. And uh, now you might think like what I'm going to say next, you might not often hear from pastors, but it's more than just giving to your local church. Storing up treasures in heaven is more than I'm, I'm I'm consistently giving to our local church. Now we encourage that. We talk about that, and we talk about the tithe, and we talk about, you know, the 10, 10, 80 principle. But storing up our treasures in a life that's invested in God's kingdom is more than just fueling the church with our resources. It's financial practices that allow you to live the kingdom life and allow others to experience the kingdom life. It's part and parcel with how we fuel the church and the ministry of the church because we believe that God's called us to be his living and local presence here. But it's financial practices that allow you and me to live into the kingdom of God and to let others experience that. Where does that show up? Shows up in this really practical word that we don't really find in the Bible, but we can unpack it this way, and it's our budget. Basically, our budget is how you store up, and it's where you store up, and it's where you put your money. Your budget is deciding where your money goes based on your vision and your values. That's why it's store up. It's a verb. So it's deciding where your money goes. And you know what it reflects? Your budget doesn't reflect my priorities, 100%. Your budget reflects yours. My budget doesn't reflect your priorities. It reflects mine. Now, we might have some common priorities, but then it changes. So with our disposable income, you might love the beach, and part of your disposable income fuels some time at the beach once a year. But I might love, I don't know... um, coffee. Yeah, someone just mentioned coffee. (laughs) And so my disposable income might, you know, go for coffee, whatever, right? So our priorities are different. You get the point, right? Our budget only tells us where our money will go. But here's what's happened over the pandemic. The pandemic has tempted us, most of society, but we're not immune from that. It's tempted us to focus on two things. Because of fear and fragility, it's tempted us to focus on one, protecting ourselves, and two, pampering ourselves. 
When the pandemic hit, when the, the news is hitting, when we're talking about job loss, when we're talking about the economy, now when we're talking about the government having this overblown budget and debt, it leads us often to do two, one of two things, to protect ourselves or to pamper ourselves. And some of us actually do both at the same time. So we're like, oh my gosh, I better protect myself. I better figure out how to make sure that I'm okay and all these kind of things. And so it leads us to that. Now, there's, some of that's not all bad, but that can be the only value that people have and they forget everybody else. The other value is pampering myself. So it's like, oh my gosh, I've been stuck in this house for so long. I need a good Amazon fix. What's on it? What can I buy today? What's going to feel good? I want that FedEx truck to come to my door and drop off a box. It's going to feel awesome, Right? And then you're not seeing anybody. People are working in their pajamas, but they're like, I want this blouse. This blouse is going to look good. Even if it's only for the mirror, it's going to look awesome. Right? Or I want these shoes, or I need this, or whatever. Right? And so, not, I said blouse, and that sounds like girls. Guys overspend, trust me, just as much. So, but the, that's the thing, right? We've either gone from protecting ourselves to pampering ourselves. Because we deserve it. We need the escape. We need that. But a budget changes that. A budget is proportionate. A budget leaves wise room for protection and wise room for pampering. But it doesn't, a budget is proportionate. It doesn't make you, lop, you know, kind of lopsided on protection and lopsided on pampering. It prevents you and me from living above our means and instead living within our means. So the question is, how do you spread out your budget? Is it, is it according to the vision, the eyes that God has given you? Or is it like just worldly eyes? Is it, you know, where our heart is, our soul, like whether we're serving God or wealth? If our, if our vision and our values are intact, then how we spread out our budget changes. And I've said these three things, you know, over and over again, and I won't unpack them long. I'm just going to list them. And the first one is giving. When we give, we trust God with all things. Jesus says later, he can feed the sparrow and clothe the lily. And if that's true, he's got me. He's, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay in his arms. He's got me. When we give, we combat fear and fragility that culture pushes on us. And when we give, it helps us see beyond ourselves. Because when we give, we start developing the mind and the heart and the vision to look for pockets of poverty and loss where your provision can make a difference. You know that your provision can make a difference somewhere in the world? Now, when, when the pandemic hit, most of us Canadians, most of us in Montreal, went to Costco or Walmart, and we did like a triple grocery, and we stocked our shelves in our freezer, we bought like 100, 100 cases of toilet paper. And, and so people left the store with like oversized carriages. And they needed like a pickup truck to bring their groceries home. And I get, that was what? That was protection, right? We, let, we lent, you know, leaned on to protection. And then at time, then we were like, okay, I think I'm good with toilet paper. Let me buy something that I need, I want. And let me like order that on Amazon. When, we're, when that's all we're about... We are blinded to the needs around us, both in our own society, but also around the world. And I remember reading the first story of the impact of COVID for migrants in India. And I read that story, and it started to break my heart. And I realized that the day that my wife lost her job, we live in a, in a, a society with a social net, 
and I was still able to, to have toilet paper in my house. But the migrant worker that lost their job, they had a 20-mile bike ride or walk all the way home, and their employer didn't pay them that day, and they had no subsidy coming in, and on their walk home, they couldn't stop at the market and buy food for their little girl or their little boy or their spouse or another family member living at their house. And I remember how much just that stark reality of the difference of how we all feel a crisis in our world. But when giving becomes the first priority in our life and in our budget, we make room and God shows us opportunities to make a difference with our provision. Saving is another one where we make room for important things in life, both now and in the future. And people that walked into this pandemic realizing that they were already stressed with money real, look back and say, why didn't I prepare differently in case of, of an emergency? See, when you save, you live with margin. When you save, you live more freely. When you save, you live prepared. And the last thing is spending. You spend with your, disposable, your, with your disposable income. Not beyond it. You just spend with it. Like you've given, you've saved, you're delayed spending, you've set it up, and I'm not going to go into like a whole workshop on it this morning. But then you're left with, you're like, oh, okay, I can use this. I can use this for different things. I can use it for friends. I can use it for me. I can use it for coffee. I can use it for a trip. I can use it for whatever. Because I've given and I've saved and I've set this up. And I'm making room also for the life of God's kingdom because his vision and his values are now part of who I am. Let me just tell you something. Why I'm also telling you this. I've been reading some articles and some are saying that, and I'm not one to give predictions, but I love looking back to history. And after the 1918 flu pandemic that hit, we had the roaring 20s and things just grew. It's crazy. And people are talking about that potential. But there's both sides of it. Some people are talking about inflation and interest rates and all that kind of stuff, which we should be ready for. And some are talking about the incredible growth. And one of the things that happened in the roaring 20s wasn't only innovation and growth. It was a whole bunch of wasteful spending because people just, things were happening. So their mindset was like, I can do anything I want. And so our heartbeat as Christ followers, we need to look and say, Lord, first, before I do anything, whatever season I come through, whatever, you know, economic ups and downs the world, you know, we, we live in the world, just put that aside for a second and say, Lord, shape my vision, shape my heart and my values, and help me lean into the kind of budget that reflects your kingdom. That regardless if we have another roaring 20s or a dropping 20s, we live as followers of Jesus, reflecting his kingdom, reflecting his heart. And then we become people of peace and people of freedom in a world that often is anxious because of fear and fragility. Jesus actually leads the way for us and he shows us. And now you're sitting here today and, and, and it's not just about following his ways, but it's about letting him lead your life you know what, if, you leave, if, you're, if you're not following Christ these days and you leave today's message with these principles, you'll likely, it'll likely benefit you. But the ultimate call is the lordship of Jesus for all of us. Is he lord of our lives? Is he leading our lives? Do we trust him fully? Have we embraced the gospel of his kingdom and realized he is the lord of the universe? 
And not only is he, is he the smartest person in the universe, he's literally Lord, ruler, and king. And if that's true, then it's worth giving my life to him, following him. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that your word and the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus hit, can cut right through our cultural moment right now. We're thankful that we can read these words from Jesus and it can relate so directly to our decisions tomorrow. So we want to embrace that. We want to embrace your wisdom, God. And you call us and lead us to be people who fully embrace your kingdom and follow Jesus as Lord, but also follow his ways. So God, give us the sensitivity. Give us the, the desire. Give us the transformed heart as we seek you and pray and worship and read the scriptures, transform our hearts to be the kind of people that would follow the ways of Jesus and trust his authority. God, I pray for some that are really tangibly feeling the pressure of finances these days. Oh God, I pray that they would know your love for them and your provision for them. I pray that they would um, know your truth and wisdom, even in this time. And I pray that we can be a community of support to one another. And God, I pray for those who just perceptually feeling this, who, who are doing okay, but we're living and, and, and breathing the air, God, of our culture. And we're tempted, Lord, to overly focus on protection or overly focus on pampering. God, but may we be people of your kingdom. You give us you give us the ability and wired us to be able to decide where the resources we receive go. May we be shaped by your vision and your values, your heart, your kingdom, as we call Jesus Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.